You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 362 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rollins, the first time in a couple of days here, and joining me to re- recap everything that transpired this weekend is the great Jeff Siegel. What's up, Jeff? Doing well. How are you? I'm living the dream, man. Uh, traveling over the weekend, uh, was not in the building for Thursday's game against the Hornets, but got to watch it, and then, of course, the Hawks took on the uh, Bucks on Saturday. That game went a little bit better for Atlanta, although it was still a loss, so I figured we needed to... We start by going back to what transpired on Thursday at home. Uh, the final score was 129 to 117. It felt a lot worse than that. And frankly, um, this is a continuation of, of some pretty comical defensive performances recently from the Hawks. Um, a 124 offensive rating for the for the uh, lowly Hornets on the road by them is uh, pretty crazy. Um, there was some individual stuff that we can talk about positively, but what were your overall takeaways from that game on Thursday other than the fact that the Hawks really were kind of non-competitive? Yeah, the uh, the defense didn't quite show up for Atlanta on uh, on Thursday against Charlotte. I think it just you know they they didn't have their their full complement of wings, and I think the the Charlotte wings just sort of had their way. Uh, you know, Michael Kidd Gilchrist finished five for five. Nick Batum had a triple double with sixteen assists, and he was you know he only took nine shots, but he was just dominant. You know, it just, it, just things like that were uh, were big for Charlotte, and then of course Dwight Howard had his you know thirty three and twelve against his old team. Uh, so, you know, I think it just sort of, they, they were sort of overwhelmed by, by the Charlotte wings, which is not something that usually happens with Charlotte, but when Atlanta's trotting out the, the wings that they are, that's, that's sort of how that went. Yeah. So, uh, I, I did not watch this game live. So I saw the box score before I watched the, uh, before I watched the game later. And, uh, when I saw that Nick Batum had 16 assists, my mouth at the floor, uh, just because you don't necessarily see that from a wing, especially a, a guy who has a primary facilitator and come a walker. Like, you know, Batum has the ball in his hands a lot. He's always been a good passer, but 16 assists from a wing um, is jarring in a game where Kemba played 35 minutes. Obviously, Batum played 40, which is rather insane, frankly, for a team that's out of the playoffs. I don't know why they'd be playing uh, Batum 40 minutes in a game that they had well in hand, frankly, in the second half. But anyway, as a sidebar for the Hornets. But yeah, the wings got a, kind of all they, all they needed to get. You know, Kemba was good and, and his Kemba way with 24 and 8. And you know, Dwight was the big story. We, ha- we just have to at least touch on the fact that, you know, there's a lot of even national reaction to what Dwight did. In this game, obviously, he was very good by his standards with 33-12. and 12. Uh, There was a quote from Dennis Schroeder making the rounds. I believe it was from Kale Shinar in the Hawks locker room on Thursday that said um, he always plays great against his former team credit to him, too. That's like four games each year, you know. Houston, L.A., us. I think he's always giving his best there, but the other games he is. And there was a sh- something of an of a, of a actual shrug emoji from Schroeder. So a little bit of shade there from an old teammate. And uh, he was not the only one that uh, expressed that sentiment with Dwight. Um, sort of getting up for the Hawks inexplicably. Um, also, also Bob Rathman, the team's uh, play-by-play voice, and uh, one, one of my favorites. One of my favorites, to be sure. I love Bob. Uh, Bob tweeted, uh, and I quote: "So Dwight Howard was motivated to play against the Hawks and Coach Bud last night. I wish he had been motivated to play against Gortat and the Wizards in last season's playoffs." End quote. So, what, what is your takeaway on this? I think I don't. We don't I don't want to spend too much time on it because Dwight's no longer a member of the Hawks. But obviously, it's a big story and. Uh, it does seem like he really gets up for these games, and you know, I guess I can sort of understand that. But it's kind of uh, pretty pretty clear in the numbers, even as, uh, that he's uh, he's certainly motivation's a factor when Dwight comes back to town or even plays the Hawks in Charlotte. Yeah, I think it's it's just sort of the way it is with with Dwight. We know that he's sort of a a, a different kind of person who's going to get up for certain games. Is has as 
you know, maybe has some motivational issues in terms of just day to day, you know, even in the playoffs, like, like Bob said. And so it's just, you know, it is what it is with Dwight. He's always going to be sort of this guy. And, you know, ever since he sort of fell off after leaving Orlando way back in the day, he's just sort of, you know, bounced around and he can have these great games, but then you don't really see him for like a week. And so it just sort of, you know, it's, it's, he's not really, you know, he's obviously not on the Hawks anymore. So we don't want to dive too deep into like his psyche or like what's going on with him. But, you know, that's just sort of, it seems like that's a, that's a consistent theme for the last, you know, five years or so. Yeah. By all accounts, Dwight has been better this year in Charlotte than he was in Atlanta. And uh, even if the numbers probably tell a rosier picture than I would uh, use with my eyes, uh, given the way that he's just, you know, some of the things that you have to do a scheme around him, but he has been better. So, you know, credit to Dwight for playing better and he was very good in this game, but we can move on from that. So uh, other than that, I mean, I guess the theme across the two games, I guess we don't want to do too much on the Charlotte game because it was just kind of a long time ago and it was kind of brutal, obviously, but uh, Torian Prince had a double-double in that game with 22, 10, and 6, and then moving on to Saturday's game against the Bucks. Prince exploded again with 38, his second time in about a week when he had 38 points. Uh, Prince is really starting to break out here. I made sort of a tongue-in-cheek comment that if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be really overrated. Uh, and that's probably a good thing for the Hawks, I will say, because, listen, he's been awesome for the last you know couple of weeks here. After, you know, you and I were both critical of him in January and February for his inconsistency and his lack of effort, and he was kind of uh, pretty sleepy a lot of the time. I'm not sure I could bank on him suddenly being a 30-point-a-game scorer. It's definitely not going to be a thing that's going to be happening, but... It's very encouraging to see what he's been able to do recently, including these two games. Yeah, I think it's it's great to see that he's been aggressive. Obviously, he got benched against Indiana, and whatever whatever message that sent, it obviously seems to have gotten through. And you know, he's been real aggressive. He's they're putting the ball in his hands a little more, which is probably a bad thing in terms of like actual success, but it's probably a long term good thing for me. Like, I just think that that you know those kind of reps, even if they go really really poorly in year one are always going to be, you know, a, a positive thing down the line that he can attack closeouts eventually, that he can find the right pass, that he can handle a little bit in pick and roll. Obviously, he can't do much of that right now. They're giving him those reps anyway just to, you know, sort of let him let him get uh, get some experience under his belt in that area, but you know, obviously as a scorer, he's been doing much better. It's, you know, it's not even that he's getting a bunch of wide open shots and just hitting them this time like it's like the, over the last week or so, it's really been he's creating his own shot in pick and roll in isolation. You know, he's not a good passer, but he can find his own shot in 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 those areas, which is you know encouraging at least to see that he's got a little bit of uh, of, of technical skill in, in those areas. Absolutely, and I think you know he shot well from three against Charlotte. It was six of twelve. Actually, didn't shoot the ball all that well against Milwaukee. It was four of thirteen from three, but was very efficient on his two point shots, which is something that's not always been the case. This year, I do agree with you. Like, you know, ultimately, if you look, you look, you look forward to the next contending Hawks team. I don't think Torrey Prince is going to be a primary offensive option. Uh, although I have no problem at all with them using him that way right now. Frankly, you know, there's a lot, there's a lack of options aside from him, and it can only help his development. I think, you know, down the line, I would hope that they would not see him as a primary offensive option. And I think if you look at the numbers for the season when he's been asked to be a creator. Uh, the efficiency has not been good. He's been very good in catch and shoot situations, that kind of stuff. When he's playing more more of a supporting role, and, and again, you know, recently he has been good in this creative role. We've at least been more efficient. Again, though, I don't think it's necessarily sustainable in that way. But it's, it can only help him to. 
be able to have these reps with the ball in his hands more often. The passing you mentioned you mentioned there is definitely something that I would I would focus on as well. He is not a good passer right now. It doesn't mean he can't be one. I do think uh, that's not exactly a strength of his though. And you know, defensively, there are still the concerns that I have. I think the effort's been a little bit better recently. That probably coincides with him playing well offensively and having some confidence and probably just having more energy because he's cooking on the offensive end. But I, that's my biggest concern uh, still. You know, the passing, I don't think it's ever going to necessarily just come on in terms of the light coming on there with, with the passing. But defensively, he needs to at least be an average defender for me to have him reach his ceiling and we're not there yet. But again, you know, it's it's definitely appropriate to be positive right now because he has been quite good over this stretch. And yeah, you go, going back to that Indiana game when he was, you know, when he was gasping that first half and got benched, it's definitely, I would not have predicted two 38-point games and a 22-10 and 10 over that stretch since then. Yeah, I think it's it's important that that people, you know, as we're watching these games and as we sort of try to break them down, that that all of these possessions are just sort of almost like investments that we're that they're making in Prince. That they're they're throwing him here. You go run a bunch of pick and roll. You're going to screw up a lot. You're going to end up with you know against Milwaukee one assist to four turnovers. It's going to happen sometimes. Like it's not you know that I don't think that that Budenholzer is really all that worried about those. I mean, unless it really gets bad and then, you know, they, they took him out of course for the second half against Indiana. But, you know, as, as long as it's, you know, manageable and he's, he's getting to his spots and it looks good that they're going to keep feeding him. And then, you know, way, you know, three, four years from now when, when the team, you know, assuming the team gets better over the next few years that, uh, you know, Prince can be a fourth option, a fifth option, even offensively, you know, be hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll grow into being more of a defender and that'll be his, his long-term role as an NBA player, really more of a three and D guy. But if you can get him creative reps now, you know, when the team is, you know, not, you know, not worried about wins and losses and it's really more about the process, it's, you know, I think that's, that's going to be really beneficial to him long-term. Yeah, and I totally understand people that think he's has a higher ceiling than you and I do offensively because if you look at these numbers and uh, especially more casual fan, like you might just see like a, a potential you know high end scorer. I would caution against that for all the reasons we've already said, and the fact that he'll be 24 this week, which doesn't seem like it's that old. But Prince is not this super young prospect. Normally, guys are kind of what they are by now. I mean, there's obviously some group, some room to grow from here. And he was a guy who was uh, he's spent a long time at Baylor, but at the same time, like he's not this 21 year old you know, prospect with a whole lot of upside for me. I think, you know, I think he could certainly be better than we're painting him to be probably right now. I will say that I, you know, it's definitely encouraging again and on a positive note just to see this kind of run, but I'm with you overall in that I think expectations should probably be dampened just a little bit. I think people are going to see this breakout. And that's why I made the comment, sort of the uh, sarcastic comment about him becoming overrated down the stretch. If he goes out and averages 25 points a game for the next you know couple of weeks here down the stretch, I think people are going to look at that that haven't watched a whole lot of the Hawks, even nationally, and say, whoa, Torian Prince is breaking out. And that will probably be true to some degree, but uh, sustainably true is sort of a different argument altogether. And for me, I'm looking at this you know three, four years down the road when the Hawks are looking to probably compete. Um it's kind of what's what's that player going to be then? Because right now the reps are valuable, but in terms of the production, I almost it's not that I don't care, but it doesn't matter as much at the moment in terms of just the raw point totals and that kind of stuff. Yeah, the one thing I do want to push back on a little bit is is that I think Prince, because he's you know one of the older second year players because he spent you know so much time at Baylor, he's physically probably where he's going to be for his prime. Yep. You know, co- you know coming up to. You know, as he's getting older now, I think that's where he's going to be, you know, sort of he's already at his ceiling physically and athletically. And it's, you know, that's not a particularly high ceiling like he barely can, you know, he barely gets up for dunks and stuff. And that sort of, you know, puts a cap on on his uh, on his sort of 
you know, high end talent, I think because of, because of his just sort of lack of athleticism for his first position. But I do think that, you know, he can continue to get better technically, get better mentally, get better sort of handling, you know, just maturity wise, handling the games, handling sort of the ups and downs of the season, stuff like that will improve. I mean, he's still only in his second year, you know, whether he's 28 or, or 18, you know, coming into the league, it's, you know, it's, it's an adjustment no matter what. And so I think he'll, you know, I think he does have some room to grow technically, has some room to grow mentally, even if he's sort of physically where he's going to be long term. Yep, that, that makes complete sense, and it's important to break that down in that way because, uh, listen, you know, it's all about context right now. I think a lot of people have probably checked out of the Hawks season, at least in terms of uh, following them in the same way that they normally would. So trying to at least paint a picture of what these guys are going to be versus what they are right now because the results, as we have well documented recently, are not necessarily as important, especially on the scoreboard, as they will be in the future. Um, anything, obviously that game was interesting on Saturday. We talked about a little bit, a little bit more of the Bucks game, uh, the Hawks had an early lead kind of gave it back and then came, came, came back a little bit down the stretch. I don't think it was necessarily all that in doubt in the last couple of minutes, but still it was a winnable spot in a lot of ways for the Hawks. I think it's better that they didn't win as uh, through the prism of the uh, taking race and the Hawks are now, by the way, five and 28 away from home this season, which is pretty brutal, but you know, five-point loss to Milwaukee, nothing to be uh, upset about because that team, I, I will say Milwaukee didn't play well necessarily in this game, but aside from Prince, there were a couple of other strong performances. You know, John Collins had a very good game before he left early. We'll talk about that in a second. Dennis Schroeder I thought was pretty decent here. Who else? What, what else did you see sort of on, uh, against Milwaukee other than uh, obviously Prince's big day? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously not, not just against Milwaukee, but just combining the two games that Damian Lee has sort of shown that he's, he's probably, an, uh, you know, an NBA player. You know he can he can do you know he's he's not uh, he's not shy about getting that jump shot up and it goes in well enough to where you know you have to be happy with that and so I think he's you know I think I thought he played pretty well against Milwaukee even though he only finished two for eight like he you know he competed and he played well and then you know I thought he played particularly well against against Charlotte of course he five for eight three for five from three you know plus three in a game that they lost by twelve you know, he, he played well in his 26 minutes. I think that's one of the bigger takeaways for me over the, the Thursday, Saturday double is that Damian Lee is probably, you know, a, an NBA guy, which is, you know, it's all, that's what the, the whole point of these 10 day contracts are for the Hawks. That's what they're trying to, to unearth whenever they, they sign a new guy is throw him into the fire, see what happens. And it seems like, you know, it seems like Lee is, is able to make hay in those situations. And, you know, he's, he's going to be, you know, he maybe not a long-term piece for the Hawks, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them sign him, you know, for the rest of the season and beyond. Um, you know, outside of that, I think Collins would be would, is a good place to focus. He was plus thirteen against Milwaukee in a game they lost by five. Of course, he went out with the with the injury, and then Milwaukee sort of mounted mounted their comeback there. But I thought he, you know, he did pretty well. They they put him on Giannis in that Milwaukee game, and then put him on Dwight in the, uh, in the Charlotte game. And so, you know, that sort of defensive versatility for Collins is going to be interesting to sort of track long-term. He guarded Dwight in the first game against, against Charlotte. And I thought like, you know, in, in, by the eye test, I thought he did a, did a good job. And then you go back and look at it and it's like, eh, actually, you know, uh, Dwight scored, uh, Dwight scored 14 points in 18 possessions against Collins and, and the Hornets scored 25 overall. He drew three fouls, shot five for seven. So maybe Collins didn't do, you know, that great of a job, but, you know, from the eye test, I thought he, you know, held up well as a, in his strength in the post. He got around for a couple of steals on entry passes. You know, once, once Dwight got the ball, it seemed like th- good things happened for Charlotte, but I thought, uh, I thought Collins did a pretty, did, did a pretty good job there. And then, you know, he guarded Giannis on 25 possessions again in, 
in the Milwaukee game, the Bucks only scored 24 points on those, and, and Giannis was only two for six. You know, so I thought he did. You know, he did a good, decent job there executing the scouting report, laying back on Giannis because he's not much of a shooter. He did make a couple of threes, maybe three in this game, but I thought Collins did a good job there. And so, you know, those are the two. Those are the two big pieces of focus outside of Torian Prince that that I saw from the from these two games. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Demi Lee a little bit because I think. You know, people probably will overreact to how well he's played a little bit early on, and that's something to always keep in mind. You know, I don't think he was quite as good on Saturday as he was on Thursday, but I do kind of like what I've seen from him. And you mentioned that the 10-day contracts, you know, get a lot of, a lot of pushback from Hawks fans that don't recognize these names and they want to know what's going on. And, you know, they signed Tony Cleveland, who's injured for the rest of the season, and Jalen Morris was an unknown before he came in. I think Lee's probably a little bit bigger name than those guys because he played, you know, major college, played at Louisville, so he's a little bit, little bit more recognizable. But you're right. I mean, I think, you know, without comparing them fully to the Sam Hankey Sixers, like those guys, they, you know, they, they tracked through 20, 30 of these guys. You're just trying to look for one hit. And by the way, Philly got theirs with Robert Covington um, or even, and even Rashawn Holmes. They found, they found a couple of guys who are real NBA players by doing this. And you're going to have some misses, obviously. I think I'm still, I'm still a little bit bothered that the Hawks didn't keep O'Carl White, who just signed with the, uh, with the Cavs. I think I would have just hung on to him. Um, frankly, or even Sheldon Mack, who are probably better prospects than, than these guys are. But if you found an NBA player in Damian Lee, even if it's a, even if it's a low end one, that'd be a good that'd be a good pickup because right now there's opportunity. You know, even with you know Morris was playing a lot of minutes before he got injured, and there's still some buzz out there. I think there was actually a report from Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated that he was going to be kept the rest of the season. That that wouldn't surprise me either. The Hawks have these have all these roster spots to sort of work with, and they might even have a hardship waiver right now because of the fact that they have so many guys injured. So I don't know. It's not terribly something to get upset about or focus on a ton but if you can find a guy like Damian Lee who looks to have some NBA skills even Jalen Morris like if Jalen Morris had a jump shot he'd be an NBA player 100% I'm not sure he does and because of that I'm not sure he is but you know Lee has more of that you know traditional you know, he has more of a jumper it's more of an easy profile piece for you that you can sort of slide in if, if everything works out so taking flowers is fine same thing with Antonio Cleveland who I kind of like in the tape that I've seen on him so I don't know just bounce around take take shots on guys and hopefully they'll be able to land one or two even if they're backups that's valuable yeah I mean you're throwing you, you want you're throwing darts at a dartboard that you don't know where the 20s are and where the 18s are and where the ones are and you're just hoping that the darts hit the right spots and the more darts you have the better off you're going to be and that's I think that's the the, the, the way that the Sixers did it, that's the way the Hawks should do it. Take flyers on as many guys as you possibly can. And, you know, if you happen to hit a couple of 20s, then you're, then you're golden. Just like, just like uh, Philly did with Robert Covington and a little bit with Holmes. I like Holmes a little better than most people do. Think, a little I, better I, than I, the I, Sixers I, apparently do. I like. <laughs> but, you know, I would, I, you know, I think he's probably better than Amir Johnson. But we're getting, so we're, we're getting a little bit away from the Hawks here. But I think that's, the, that's what they should be doing. They should be just throwing as many darts at the dartboard as they can because they don't know where the 20s are. They just might as well throw as many as they can. So sign as many of these guys as you want. It doesn't matter if anybody's ever heard of them before. Just go and, and hope that uh, hope that a couple of them hit. And, you know, Lee sort of looks like he might might be a hit. You know, not uh, not a Robert Covington kind of hit yet. But, you know, he's got the jump shot. They, they coach him up a little bit on the defensive end. And all of a sudden, you know, he's a, he's a sort of a 3 and D guy. You know, it's obviously... You know that's projecting quite a bit. Jalen Morris has the opposite problem. He's got the D needs the needs the jumper. We've seen we've seen the Hawks be able to procure that out of players before. So you know it's it's you know I, I have no problem with them giving giving these guys lots of minutes, giving just seeing what they got from those from those uh, ten day contracts. Especially on wings. I mean, obviously the Hawks have this. Um 
this this issue where they don't have a whole lot of healthy wings anyway. In fact, I think you know I made the uh, sort of the half joke, half serious comment that Torian Prince is the only NBA level wing they have on the roster right now, and that wasn't meant to be shade towards Tyler Dorsey. But Tyler Dorsey is a second a second round rookie. Most of those guys are sort of unplayable. Obviously, he has to play a lot right now when he's healthy because the Hawks just don't have a lot of guys. But you know the available wings at the moment. In that game on Saturday, the available wings were Torian Prince, Tyler Dorsey, Andrew White, and Damian Lee. Uh, that's not as a murderer's row. Uh, and, and even beyond that, like I think every single team in the NBA is looking for wings. Like you can't you can't have enough quality wings. So I mean, I, I kind of like what the Hawks are doing in that way, and that they're using all of their available roster spots basically on taking wing flyers. Uh, you know, even Andrew White was their last guy. They you know they picked him up on the two way contract after they promoted Kavanaugh to the full time contract. And White, you know, has been up and down. He's had some moments, had some interesting, but he has, you know, he has the size to be a quality wing, has a jumper, and you know, take a take a shot on that guy. So, anyway, we've probably done, done enough on that. I just think, uh, you know, you can't have too many of those guys. So pour it on to be sure. Um, before we get out of here, I do want to focus on John Collins a little bit. I know you you mentioned him a second ago. He left that game with a left ankle sprain. I actually followed up with the Hawks um, today earlier. I'm recording this on Sunday. Uh, there's gonna be an injury up an injury report put out on Monday, so we'll learn a little bit more about Collins at that point in time. Hopefully, it's not serious. Of course, the Hawks have absolutely no reason to push him because they're not trying to win necessarily right now, and because you know Collins is by far the best roster asset they have at the moment. But you know, I saw the replay. I'm not sure. I mean, we're all guessing. It's you know, it's listed as, as a left ankle sprain at the moment. I'm not really sure. I, I mean, it wouldn't blow me away if he was shut down for a while. It wouldn't blow me away if he played uh, on Tuesday. I'm not sure. Like, it's kind of all about how it reacts. We don't know a lot right now. But you know, you mentioned how well he played. I thought he looked good against uh, against the Bucks in, in a pretty short period of time. You know, 26 minutes. Part of that was injuries. Part of that was the foul trouble that he had. He had four fouls in 26 minutes. But I don't know. I'm still coming around on Collins. I like him quite a bit. I think uh, some Hawks fans are getting carried away at the same time, but. I've been, you know, sort of weirdly in the last couple of weeks or maybe in a month, I've probably become even higher on Collins than I was before because he continues to perform in a way that I'm surprised by in a good way. You know, his defense has been better than I thought. His passing, all these fun things, the jump shots starting to come around a little bit. You can definitely see some flashes and some confidence there. If he goes into the offseason and focuses on that, you can see that becoming a weapon. Kind of where you out on Collins. I know we talk about him all the time, but I think I'm probably higher now than I've ever been, which is uh, saying something to be sure. Yeah, I think the fact that he hasn't hit that rookie wall, the fact that they, you know, they're even sort of giving him the ball at the elbow and letting him, you know, almost basically run the offense through him at the elbow, like that's interesting to watch. It's interesting to see how he, you know, how he develops as a passer. That would be a huge part of his game. You know, I think as a, you know, as a long-term piece, I still don't, you know, I'm not 100% sure that he's like a starter long-term. You know, I, I would be, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he, you know, if he be, develops into you know, they're starting four or they're starting five long-term once the team, you know, bounces back from this rebuild, or if he's more of a bench guy who can come in, give you a ton of energy, give you a ton of offensive rebounding, you know, athleticism dunks around the rim and, and a little bit of, you know, stepping out and, and making some jump shots. I don't, you know, at this point, if the team was good, he'd definitely be coming off the bench, like, you know, as an energy guy, but you know, how he develops as a passer, how he develops as a defender is going to be, you know, really, really important to see whether he's going to develop into a starter or if he's just going to be sort of a, a bench energy guy, you know, a, a Kenneth Fareed type, a, you know, some, somebody like that versus being, you know, a, a, you know, a real centerpiece for the team or even just a, a starter level defender passer jump shot, you know, has to come around as well a little bit. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm a little, I'm higher on him as a rookie than I, was definitely coming into the season. He's obviously way outperformed his draft slot, has way, you know, has completely overperformed any of my expectations for him this season. 
but I, you know, still long term, I'm not 100 percent sure that he's, you know, he's going to be, a, you know, a long term piece that's that's really going to contribute at a high level for for the Hawks. Yeah, I mean, th- that's definitely a uh, a rational thought process because I think, you know, I think there's probably a divide somewhere along the way between Hawks fans and people do, especially people nationally or even people like you and I that do this. Uh, I think if you ask a, an average Hawks fan, even a, even sort of a closer to diehard Hawks fan, they're going to tell you that they think John Collins is going to be a 2010 guy in the future. That's going to be a no doubt starter at least. Whereas you and I, I think I'm, if I, I think if I had to guess, I think he's going to be a starter in the NBA, but I don't think it's a lock. And I think he's going to be a long time rotation player because he's already there. I think he'd be a rotation player pretty much for everybody in the league at this point, but you're right in that for, you know, for most teams, I think he'd probably be a, back, a backup right now. Obviously the Hawks, are a different situation because they're not um, loaded with health slash uh, talent in the front court. But the fact that he's become already a a, a much better defender than I thought he was going to be, and that he has these these uh, peripheral skills and the way that he sort of just knows how to play, which I'm encouraged by. And by the way, he's only 20. Like you talk about, you know, him versus Torian Prince. Um, Prince is about three and a half years older than than Collins, and Collins is you know, only one year of service time less than Prince. So I think people have to keep that in mind as well is that he's actually, he's not a super duper young rookie because he obviously played, he played, he played college basketball for two years. But in terms of just through that prism, he's, he's very young for his, uh, for his high school class slash uh, draft class because of the fact that he was a young guy coming in and, you know, had that quick, had that quick stand at Wake Forest. So him only being 20, he'll be 21 in September. So he actually, you know, you definitely, there's some, produ- there's some projection in there in a, in a way that you wouldn't have for a guy who's 23, 24 already. So I'm, Expecting big things. I don't think he's ever going to be a super duper star, um, but I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, I think the baseline for me now would be starter. I do agree with you, though. That's not a lock at all. Yeah, I think you know. I think for people expecting twenty and ten, I think twenty and ten per thirty six minutes is absolutely there. Yep. I just don't think he'll. You know, I, I think long term, if he's playing thirty six minutes a game, that's eh, it. Just seems like seems like a lot for for what he for what I project him to be. But he. You know, obviously, he's blown my projections out of the out of the water this season. So maybe he, you know, continues to do that. You know, the jumper does look relatively solid. You know, it's it's not, you know, it's not all over the place. It looks, you know, it's not. It doesn't look as good as like Dwayne Deadman shot looks, which you know is, a, is another thing we could talk about a little bit. But we've talked about him a lot this year. Uh, you know, I think it's. I think he if he's really if he works at it and really comes back with a jump shot next year, then the sky's really the limit you know, for him, and then, then, you know, then you can really start thinking about, okay, he can be, you know, a third or fourth option, can be a starter uh, on a really good NBA team, or, you know, or if he comes back with, you know, a solid mid-ranger, you know, takes a few threes, you know, on, on pretty low volume and, and makes them, you know, decently, then it's not, then you're not really, you know, then he's, he's you're not really thinking about a starter level guy at that point. So, you know, I think that's going to be a big part of it. Obviously, the passing is going to be a big part. And then, you know, the, the defense being able to be versatile, like we like I talked about earlier with guarding Giannis, guarding Dwight Howard, you know, being able to, to do that, being able to play both big man positions is is always going to be a, a good thing for him. Yeah. And we can move on from Collins. I do think, you know, as sort of a last thing, for me, it's always been he's going to have to pop in one more area. He either, he's either going to have to add a jumper that goes out three point range, like you said, that's uh, a legitimate weapon, uh, and or he's going to have to be a a good defender. And I'm not sure, like for all those things about me saying that I think he's been a great defender versus my expectations. There's a long way to go between where he is now and being a legitimately impactful, positive NBA center defender. That, that's a big jump to make, and I, I still think you know. 
his partner in crime for the future is undetermined at this point. That's going to be important as well because of the fact that he's sort of this – almost a tweener. It's not like he's – tweener's a bad thing. I don't think he's necessarily – it's necessarily a bad thing. But you do have to have a, a good complimentary piece to him because of the fact that he has some weaknesses in that way. Like I don't think he's ever going to be big enough to deal with the biggest centers in the league in the post like your Joel Embiid's. I don't think Collins is going to physically match up with those guys. And then power forwards, there's always going to be uh, some power forwards in the league where he's not going to be super-duper comfortable stepping out and guarding them in, the, in those hybrid ways. So, I don't know. It's all going to be about um, partnering him with guys and just what his development is. But I'm super high on Collins versus where I was earlier. And that's kind of all you can ask for. For Again, the, the, number, the number 19 overall pick, he's ahead of the pace by a pretty wide margin. Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely, I mean, all of these conversations about being a, you know, a power forward center tweener about, you know, not quite being quick enough to step out on the best, you know, on the best stretch fours, but not also being quite big enough to, to bang with guys like Joel Embiid and the, and the big centers down low. You know, it's, it's very, it's very Al Horfordian. We, you know, we went through oh, a lot dear. of this with Al Horford, you know, it just, you know, it just, that's the name that pops into my mind when we think about this. Obviously they're very different players in their actual ability but the, the the sort of that conversation, that conversation of oh he's actually a power forward or versus he's actually playing center is we're we're going to have that conversation again for the next ten years just like we did with Horford. Oh, I can't wait. Um, yeah, the one thing is that we all well anybody that pay attention knows that Al Horford is a really good defensive player, and if Collins could be that, then we're having an entirely different conversation because uh, you know Horford is going to finish top five in NBA Defensive Player of the Year voting this year. I'm think pretty comfortably. So yeah, yeah. as he should. Yeah, agreed. So if that if that happens, then uh, it's a whole different conversation to be sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> moving, uh, we could probably we could probably get out of here. But anything else that you want to get out there? I know you know it's a lot a lot of ground to cover over a two game sample, but at the same time, we're all we're we're all kind of dealing in more hypothetical big picture stuff right now because you know wins and losses wise, it doesn't really matter at the moment. In fact, you're probably rooting for losses in a lot of ways. And I, I, we could do a little bit on the taking race, but because we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, it'd probably be uh, out of date by tomorrow morning. So needless to say, the Hawks are in better position now because they keep losing games than they were before Memphis won a game over the weekend, which is something that finally happened. They hadn't won a game in more than a month, which is uh, they were doing their best to earn that number one overall distinction. But, you know, the lottery's going to be interesting. We're, we're going to have plenty of time to preview it between now and mid-May, but... Um, the losses are good in that sense. And by the way, the Hawks are now on the road for a long time. They started a road trip on Saturday in Milwaukee. Then they're actually were coming home, but then they have, they have a five-game road trip uh, out in the West Coast that includes Golden State, albeit they're, they're very banged up right now, but they have to play Houston, Minnesota, a lot of, not, a, not a whole lot of winnable games for the Hawks in the next stretch, which is probably a good thing, and it's also a good measuring stick for how they're looking right now. Yeah, it'll be good to see. It'll be good to see some of these guys who have played well. You know, Collins, Prince, Lee against some better competition. Obviously, Milwaukee's a, a very good team, but they're going to play Utah and Minnesota and Golden State. Even though they're banged up, is always going to be a tough one. Houston, like that'll be a good sort of stretch for those guys, especially you know the guys who were we're not really sure are are NBA guys like Lee, like White, maybe if Jalen Morris comes back, stuff like that. Will be it'll just be interesting to see how those guys handle those situations. You know, I think from these two games. You know, just one more guy to talk about. I thought was Dennis Schroeder played, you know, fairly well, even against Milwaukee, where he picked up the the sixth foul and then picked up a technical. That was, you know, awfully, you know, it was bad timing. Obviously, you can't do that. For, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's bad. It's bad for the Hawks, you know, on the court as they're trying to win the game. But you know, you, you know, I. I've always had a soft spot for guys who get really, you know, into the game and get really intense. Like I love guys like that who who are really passionate about it, even if it sort of crosses the line every once in a while. I'm a big Draymond Green fan, obviously, and and people, you know, get on him for some of his antics, and it's just, 
I'd rather have that guy than the guy who doesn't care. You know, I'd rather have you go too, you know, overboard every once in a while when things aren't going your way, even though Schroeder played pretty well against Milwaukee, obviously picked up that six foul and wasn't super happy about it. Um, you know, I'd rather have guys who, who will get into it and care than, than guys who don't. And so, you know, I, I, I would, you know, maybe give, give Schroeder a pass there just because of that. But obviously it's, that's a, that's something that he needs to, to cut out. Obviously if he wants to, you know, be, be a real leader on a team that is good at some point. That was a bad moment, but I'm kind of with you. I'd, I'd rather have guys be, uh, be competitive than not, give energy than not. You know, even there was a moment when you know when Schroeder and France were going were going at each other about about defensive issue, which I think you commented was amusing in some ways, and it was. Oh yeah, uh, Schroeder <laughs> got into Prince. Prince like didn't rotate or like didn't execute the switch right, and Schroeder like gave him hell as they were going up the court on offensive end. And I'm just like, you can't do that. Like this, <laughs> no. like nobody's looking at Dennis Schroeder as like the defensive leader of the Hawks. He's been the worst player on that team defensively. You know, like even yeah. well. Maybe, maybe he's been better than Majette, but like, well, you know, of the actual NBA caliber guys on the team, he's been the worst guy because he doesn't care. And so like for him to get into Prince for not doing the right thing is kind of the, the irony was was not lost on me there. It was definitely amusing to be sure. Uh, anyway, well, Jeff, thank you for your work as always, my friend. Uh, anything else you want to get out there? I know you're writing in other places, so plug anything you'd like and uh, tell people where they can find your stuff. Yeah, you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. You can find anything related to the Hawks on Peachtree Hoops, anything related to the Cleveland Cavaliers on Fear the Sword, uh, Portland Trailblazers over at Blazers Edge. Everybody else is for fan sided's the step back. So I think that's everything right now. Of course, things always seem to change. For, you know, for me, uh, you know, every every couple of months it seems a new site crops up. So you know, keep, keep you know keep your your eyes peeled to the Twitter feed. That's where I put everything out. If you're uh, if you're interested in reading more from me, yeah, you, you even got a shout out on cleaning the glass this week, which was which I enjoyed. that was yeah that was unexpected but uh, <laughs> very nice. But yeah, you uh, your work is your work is appreciated, my friend. Uh, I I actually had somebody reach out to me. Uh, it was it was a, it was a fan of our site um, that was a little worried that you were leaving us because he he saw that you were added to somebody else. I said nope, Jeff's not going anywhere. From Hawk stuff, at least unless it's a surprise to me. So I, I, I was happy to see that you're not leaving. And uh, thank you, as always, for joining the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, as, for everybody, as, as for everybody else, I should say, the Hawks don't play again until Tuesday, but I, I will have another podcast on Tuesday morning and then a wrap-up on Wednesday night. Uh, a little bit of programming note, I'm actually going to be out of the country starting next week for a week. So that's going to be a little bit dicey for the podcast. I'm actually not going to know how my setup is going to be until I get over there. So we might go a week without a podcast, but uh, that'll be a, an issue to tackle on later on in the week. So if nothing else, we'll see you guys on Tuesday morning and stay tuned for that. <laughs>